Reflections on COP. Welcome to Construction and the Climate. This is a podcast series from 39 Essex Chambers with me, Camilla Tahar and Ruth Keating. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing the big climate issues affecting the construction sector. Today, we're joined by Will Wilde. Will is the Built Environment Lead at the Climate Champions team, where he leads their work in accelerating industry and government ambition and action to decarbonise the built environment. Good morning, Will. Can you explain a little more about what the Climate Champions team is? Good morning. Good morning. Delighted to be here, Camila and Ruth. And uh, firstly, thank you for having me. It's a great opportunity to dive in with a podcast fresh back from COP28 last week, but recognising much of the action is still ongoing, and I'm sure we'll come on to that. Yes, you ask about the Climate Champions team. So it's worth unpacking a little bit of background here to give you a bit of context on who we are at the Climate Champions. Each year, the country that hosts COP gets to nominate a UN high-level climate change champion. And it's the mandate of this role to focus on accelerating the action and ambition of non-party stakeholders. And for everyone that's listening, that's the UN lingo for anyone who's not a national government. So I suspect that's most, if not all of your listeners, but businesses, cities, industry, civil society as well. And then in the run-up to COP26, Nigel Topping was the UK's high-level climate action champion and decided to set up a climate champions team around him to help him deliver this mandate. So effectively, the climate champions team is an organizational arrangement focused on accelerating action and ambition of non-party stakeholders. And we have a key role when it comes to events like COP in really bringing the leading voices from what we call real economy actors up square and center in front of those policymakers and national governments to help give them the confidence to shape supportive policy and action. And Will, you've just returned from COP28, and Ruth and I would very much like to hear more about the developments made at COP. Start off with, what was the profile and presence of the built environment at COP? Yeah, you're absolutely right. So I got back on Friday. I've just about got over the jet lag. And for me, COP28 was the first COP I've ever been to. And it was an amazing privilege to attend I'm not really too sure what to expect. A lot of my colleagues had told me various different things and how it was a little bit different each year. But really, it's a carnival of all sorts of things happening in the same place at the same time. I think this reported over 100,000 attendees on, on one day in the first week. But in the middle of that, it feels like you've got 10 different business conferences happening at the same time in the same place. Lots of very state-level, high-level speakers moving around between events with their entourages. Meanwhile, you've got the negotiations taking place, often out of sight, so a little bit out of sight, out of the way, looking at the minutiae of the text and what's going to get agreed. So it's a really bizarre, bizarre space, quite hard to describe, but a fantastic experience. And well, within the first day, we saw the negotiations deliver a key step on loss and damage to set up a loss and damage fund to provide finance for those communities on the front line of climate change. And this was a really big deal. And there's a lot of focus in the next 48 hours as we run down the clock towards the end of COP28 in terms of what will get agreed in the final outcome. A lot of focus particularly around the phase down or phase out of fossil fuels. But from the built environment side, we've seen buildings and the built environment rising up the global climate agenda for a couple of years now 
And this year, the COP28 presidency has sort of recognised the criticality of this sector and decided to put built environment in the title of their thematic day on the 6th of December. And this was a huge opportunity for the sector to really elevate its voice and take some key steps forward. Building to COP, who are a coalition that work to unify the voice of the sector, have been really key here and instrumental over the past few years, really, in helping leverage the voice, the built environment, to really get the sector up there in the climate action space and the global agenda space. On the ground, there's also a very real presence from the Buildings and Business Pavilion, which provides a real setting within COP to host a whole range of discussions around buildings and the built environment. That's actually available. All of those have been recorded and you can access those on the Global Alliance for Building and Construction website, which I would recommend. We have lots there to unpack in terms of COP28. And I think another huge thing that's happened this year and has been really pivotal is that we've had the first global stock take. First off, Will, can you tell our listeners a little bit about what is that first global stock take which has taken place? I'm glad you've asked about the global stock take, Ruth, because it's often missed out of COP discussions, but you really can't talk about COP28 without discussing the global stock take. The stock take itself is a process. It's part of the architecture of the Paris Agreement. And basically, it's a big, independent, international review on the extent to which we're on track to meet the Paris Agreement. And the review is sort of strategically positioned ahead of when the countries or the parties are required to update their nationally determined contributions, which set out what they're going to do to contribute towards the Paris Agreement. And there's a clear reflection and recognition in the text that their contributions need to respond to the results of the global stock take. So when I tell people about it, I tend to say it's a bit like a teacher marking our homework. You know, that metaphor goes so far, it does go a bit beyond that and suggest what we need to do to improve and to get us back on track. As you say, well, such a central part of the COP discussions. I like the analogy of marking our homework in terms of marking our homework like a teacher, but also giving us something to work from. What role do you think the building sector played in the first global stock take? In September, the synthesis report for the global stock take was released. And it was actually quite an understated moment for many working in our industry. You wouldn't wouldn't have known it happened, but it's a 40-page report that really synthesises the results of the first global stock take. And so that's available on the UN FCCC website. And it's really interesting to unpack that and read through it. The headline, which you will have seen in the news, is perhaps unsurprising, right? We're not on track. The language they used speaks of a, a rapidly closing window of opportunity, the secure and livable future. But if you go beyond the headlines, there are a number of key messages that our sector, and all sectors, but our sector in particular, really needs to hear. The stock take itself calls out the built environment and buildings as a critical sector and a call for a systems transformation of both buildings and the systems in which they are developed, recognising both how significantly they contribute to emissions globally, but also the enabling role that buildings offer in the energy transition and the need to electrify, make efficient, and their role in demand-side management of energy consumption. It also speaks to the need for unlocking the finance for low carbon and climate resilient development is going to be to the tune of trillions of dollars, which is very significant, but speaks to the level of action needed. Beyond just pointing out that the built environment is critical, 
It says more generally, we need more international cooperation. And this needs to include the non-party stakeholders, business, cities, and industry to help drive that transformation of the system that we all operate within. And non-party stakeholders are really called to action as well. And it says quite clearly that national governments cannot do this on their own. Their success relies upon the action of the business, cities, and industries. What we need to see more of is making sure that action is accountable. And whilst you've got a lot of businesses setting clear and credible commitments, how do we ensure the implementation of those commitments are assured? And in doing so, that is so essential to strengthening the pace and direction, the transformation this industries will go on. Well, I think that's very true on the pace that we need to see in terms of the industry. And as you say, the biggest takeaway from the global stock take being that we're just simply not on track. And as you said, there are lots of different ways of dealing with that. The finance we need to fund buildings, the construction process itself, and of course, how these buildings are powered. There's lots to unpack there, I think, and lots for the industry to deal with. Do you think the building sector was ready or is ready to respond to what has come out in the global stock take? Uh, That's a great question. And the latest figures from the building's global status report that were announced at COP show that our sector is still not on track to decarbonise by 2050. And we can't ignore that and and recognise that whilst efforts to decarbonise and make more efficient are observable, they're simply offset by the growth floor area globally. So I think one of the key challenges for our sector is fragmentation. And therefore, the global stock take is really a bit of an opportunity to hold a North Star to guide us in the pace and direction of the transformation that we need to bring these sort of dispersed actors together around that common pace and direction of the transition. And it's establishing that narrative within the industry, which is what helps de-risk the transition. And actors don't feel like they're doing this on their own and can understand that this is a common shared journey that we all need to go on. It's interesting that in terms of the criticality of the built environment to have the narrative of a shared journey. In terms of that, I'd be interested to hear what solutions were discussed or showcased at COP28. So there were a lot of discussions at COP and you could find yourself listening into nature-based solutions, circularity, low carbon materials, efficiency, passive house, and many more. But I think the strongest sentiment that I took away was this feeling that we really already have the solutions. It's not about finding new ones. It's really about how do we mobilize and accelerate the deployment of the solutions that we have at scale globally. Although perhaps the real solution that was on display was what we like to call radical collaboration. You know, multiple times we heard how business leaders are getting out beyond their organization into their supply chains and collaborating for real change. And it's this radical collaboration across the supply chain, which is really the only way to address the fragmentation that affects our industry. I attended a great event hosted by the World Business Council for Sustainable Development, who are bringing industry leaders together to collaborate on 11 intervention points to transform the markets the built environment operates within. And on the 6th of December, I attended another event to watch top UAE real estate developers come together to launch a working group alongside policymakers to help shape the real policies that raise the playing field for the built environment in the UAE. So I think what we're seeing in terms of solution side is this radical collaboration 
is really an essential part of the toolkit for what it means to be a business leader in this century. Well, in terms of those solutions and what we can do moving forward, can you tell our listeners a little bit about another interesting thing that's happening, which is the Buildings Breakthrough launch? I'm delighted you picked up on the Buildings Breakthrough. This initiative was launched last Wednesday in the big theatre at COP28 in Dubai. And to really understand what the breakthrough is, you sort of have to go back a couple of years. So ahead of COP26, the UK government launched the Breakthrough Agenda initiative. I think it was called the Glasgow Breakthroughs at the time. And this brought a new approach in the climate space for tackling hard-to-abate sectors. You know, instead of asking, how do we divide up a carbon budget, the initiative asked countries, you know, what can countries do together to accelerate action on key sectors? This is a much more progressive narrative. So at COP26, five breakthroughs were launched, including steel, transport, hydrogen. And at COP27, uh, France and the Kingdom of Morocco announced their call for a new buildings breakthrough to join these. So it was a really amazing moment at COP28 when we saw the launch of the buildings breakthrough with 28 countries signed up behind it, representing a third of the population between them. And so those countries have agreed to work together to, under the goal statement of normalising near zero and resilient buildings by 2030. And so this is going to be a platform for international collaboration on buildings. And we'll see the countries come together to work with leading initiatives that are already operating in the sector. And principally, this collaboration is going to focus on five priorities. It's be harmonising international standards and definitions. So for near zero, net zero, we hear a lot of confusion and there's no single agreed term on what that actually means. Aggregating demand signals for low carbon buildings, their materials and the appliances needed to support them, mobilising private finance as well, and how do we map the money to the projects. Aligning research priorities between countries to ensure that we send the strongest signal to the private sector of those technologies that we need to come down the cost curve rapidly, the scale of deployment. And lastly, to strengthen international capacity building, particularly with a focus on building energy codes. I think as buildings, they're not sort of an internationally traded good in the same way steel and cement are. So we don't naturally have these international fora for sharing knowledge and elevating and building in these mechanisms in which we can accelerate deployment. And it was an amazing moment with the launch that France have actually announced that they will host the first global forum on buildings and climate next March, on the 7th and 8th of March. That's one for your calendars. And the forum really puts another line in the sand to bring an action plan that responds to these priorities of the building's breakthrough. But to me, the launch event itself was a really fantastic moment. But what really resonated with me is I felt it was very empowering to see business leaders on the same stage as ministers. These leaders demonstrating their readiness for the transition and calling for the policies and regulations that level the playing field. And in the afternoon, we saw a big roundtable event hosted by Building to Cop to hear more detail about some of the leading action businesses are already taking towards low carbon and resilience in the sector. And what really came apparent from that was the need to recognise that there is a shared global direction for this sector, but that also 
It's also true that that means there are differentiated pathways needed within each country. So for example, here in the UK, the focus is on modernizing our building stock, our existing building stock, prioritizing retrofits over new build. Meanwhile, in many countries in Africa, urbanization and population pressures will drive demand for new development for the next 30 years. So this breakthrough really needs to empower these countries to help them build low carbon resilience into new buildings. But really felt that recognizing these aren't competing narratives and represent different pathways to the same shared goal for the sector. It's very interesting to hear about the business leaders sharing the stage with political leaders and being ready for transition. And you mentioned action businesses are taking. Were any recommendations made to move forward with action? I'm sure our listeners would be particularly interested to hear of examples of how industry can deliver. So I think we will start to see more of the nuance of how this will shape up as a lot of work streams will be developed towards Paris next year and onwards from Paris. And undoubtedly, we've already heard France make very clear how this event and the work that develops from it needs to bring all stakeholders along with it. The detail of that will come clearer as we get closer to the event. But I think the launch of the breakthrough itself really has a clear message for business leaders that it really signals that this taking seriously of the building sector by national governments. And so therefore, it really starts to speak to the pace and direction of change we're going to see in supporting this transition and the pace of change of policies and regulations everywhere. But as the stock takers make clear, you know, national governments cannot do this on their own. As I said before, the success relies upon the action of businesses taking credible action. So if you are a business wondering where to start, but as I say, this signal is the moment to take the transition seriously for yourself as a business. And we often say that champions, if you're not preparing to be ahead of the curves, you're planning to be behind it. In terms of the need for businesses to take action and take incredible action, what messages do you have for our construction sector clients on what practical steps they can make going forwards in relation to using their work on the built environment to close the gap between the aims of and progress against the Paris Agreement? To me, there's three clear messages all wrapped up in sort of understanding that this transformation is happening and exponential change is slow to start with. And for doubling each year from a low number is still a low number. But as the system rewires, the synergies compound and this will get faster and faster. As I say, if you're a business wondering where to start, I really recommend and take stock of where you are, right? Really understand the existing emissions that you contribute to and those that you influence and because you cannot take action on what you don't measure. And then there's a need to get aligned, right? And set a clear goal about the pace of the transition. This is a journey and you do need those North Star goals and targets to help organize your organization around the transformation. And the last one, which you've heard me speak to a number of times is don't do this on your own, right? Setting the targets isn't going to be comfortable. No change is comfortable and you will scope three emissions are somebody else's scope one and two emissions. Therefore, we're increasingly seeing this radical collaboration as a key solution to de-risk the transition for actors in the sector. So get out beyond your office, come together with your supply chain behind the same desk to really work out what can you do to take this journey together. And to support businesses in doing those first few steps, the Climate Champions team run our Race to Zero campaign which effectively supports and aggregates businesses on this journey. 
So if you put Race to Zero in Google or Climate Champions in Google, you can find out more about this. Thank you very much. And I'm sure many of our listeners will do that following listening to this podcast episode. Thank you, Will, for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. At 39 Essex Chambers, we cover a vast array of practice areas and sectors. You can find out more about our expertise and our barristers at 39essex.com, where you can also see our extensive catalogue of articles, podcasts and webinars.